Hey, everybody that listens to Superhumans at Work, know that all of these episodes are recorded with a live studio audience. Mind Valley members get a chance to join these sessions with the author themselves while we record these sessions. And at the end of every show, they actually get to participate in a Q&A session as well. If ever you're interested in joining Mind Valley All Access and become a member yourself, you'll get access to all the incredible courses from Mind Valley and so much more to be involved with Superhumans at Work, the Mind Valley podcast, and all the other incredible features when you become a member. We are disrupting the way that education works for the 21st century and we want you to be a part of it. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman so you can learn more about this incredible offer, which will cost you less than $2 a day. That's mindvalley.com forward slash S-U-P-E-R-H-U-M-A-N. Now, let's get started with the show. Empathy is massively important in doctors. And yet it's the one thing they actually start losing at year three of medical school. Now, I've got theories about why that is. But to be able to develop that empathy, the only way they can really do that is through seeing a more senior doctor demonstrating empathy and if that more senior doctor is more conscious that that's what they're role modeling and the more junior doctor is more conscious that that's what they're watching it improves the learning mechanism plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators visionaries and thought leaders rewriting the rules of high performance at work it's your time to make an impact I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. We have a fantastic conversation coming ahead when we're going to be talking about mirror thinking, mirror neurons, and role models. Now, you might have heard some things such as you are the sum of the five people that are closest to you. You might have heard about how role models might be an important thing to have in your life, but just how important they are might be actually vastly underestimated. I have Fiona Merton here, who's a psychologist, executive coach, author, speaker, and advisor, who's actually written two amazing books, including Defining You and her latest work, Mirror Thinking, Why Role Models make us human. We're going to dive deeper into her work as she actually has been working in psychology for numerous years and has dug really into how fascinating these mirror neurons really are and how they can impact us in the way that we behave at work or in everyday life. Fiona, thank you so much for coming on the call with me. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Now, I'd be fascinated about your background here. Now, I know you work with a lot of successful business leaders, entrepreneurs, surgeons, athletes, prominent people across all the different industries, and you help them achieve optimal performance. So let's maybe start with your background here that how did you get so fascinated and interested in this idea of role models and the mirror neurons in particular? So I've been working with senior leaders in their field, what have you, for the last 20 plus years. So one of the things that I did was in-depth psychological profiling. That was one of my main staples for work for quite some time, working with a global firm of business psychologists. And we work with FTSE 100, Fortune 500. And we would look at, for example, assessing a leader for a CEO role. And so you do a deep dive over four hours and you go back to their childhood and you walk through to where they are today. And through that, you put together their personality, their strengths, their values, their drivers, their problem-solving style, their decision-making style. And that's very much to look at how they would fit in a role and what they would bring and what the issues may be and how they could be mitigated. 
But what I noticed is you go through someone's life. I've done this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And the impact that other people have in shaping us is really dramatic. And it sounds obvious on the one hand, but often we don't reflect on it or think about it on the other. So there's that one piece that these senior leaders, until you go through it with them, they've probably not reflected on who's shaped them, how they've been shaped and how they've pushed against certain aspects of their childhood as well to become who they are. And then there's this very deliberate choosing by many successful people of who they look to in terms of learning behaviors once they're at the top of their field. And when they do that, like it sounds to me like once you're becoming a leader and you're running an organization like this, you kind of start having to need a person to look up to, or at least to learn from, to be able to get to that next level. Is this what you're seeing through an example of like mentorship, et cetera? What's really interesting as well, one of the things that really got me thinking about it is I profile these people and then I end up coaching them. And I, firstly, they don't realize they're a role model. So they kind of do, but they haven't wanted to accept it, even though they might be leading thousands of people. So there's that piece. And then the other pieces is say, well, when I was earlier on in my career, I looked up to this person or I looked up to that person. But now there's no one really who has got everything I need. And so the discussion became actually, it's not about one person, but it's about looking at the different aspects of different people and learning from them. And so some people may have like five mentors. Some people may say, I want to be an exceptional speaker. So where do you look for that? And it might be someone you know. It might be someone you don't know. It might be someone like Martin Luther King. You know, you might go through footage. But whatever it is, it's about watching, observing, and absorbing that behavior into how we do things ourselves. Interesting. Now, you went and did some psychoanalysis of a lot of these leaders. And like, I would think you need a certain type of drive that's developed for you to become a massive leader of a, let's say a fortune 100 company to be a top CEO. There's a certain type of drivenness that I would think is innate to these people. Would you notice common threads of things that they went through in their childhoods or challenges that they had to overcome to be that type of personality to lead an organization of those sizes? There are common threads, but I wouldn't say you could narrow it down to just like one or two. I mean, there's one really interesting guy just thinking about how much things do influence us. But it's one guy I went through his profile and I thought, do you know what? He's just nothing in common with his family. He was so driven, so driven. And his family were very loving, but they just kind of, they watched on the sidelines, almost slightly perplexed by his behavior. And as we got through the profile and we got to later on in his life, he said, that's when I found out I was adopted. I was like, Ah, and then he went and found his biological parents and found that his father was exceptionally driven. So whilst on the one hand, there is obviously this strong nurture aspect, there's always nature as well. That's fascinating. Now, I started by introducing this, that a lot of us might not understand or, or realize the impact that the mirror neurons, which, you know, maybe we should take a moment to explain what these mirror neurons are and seeing what effects they have on us while we grow up. So the way I understand it is mirror neurons is kind of when we start imitating the people that are around us and learning by just seeing them in action. How exactly does that work? It's kind of useful to go back to the original research, which was sort of, you know, all these things kind of are stumbled on by chance. And it was a team led by a man named Rizzolati in Palma University in Italy. 
And they were actually looking at the neurons that fired a monkey's brain when they grabbed food. And so they were looking at single neurons, which is really hard to do in a human brain. Unfortunately, for these poor monkeys, you can do it with them. And one day they were sat there eating their lunch, one of the experimenters, and they saw on their screen that the neurons were firing in the monkey's brain, even though they weren't moving. And those neurons were the exact same neurons you'd expect for the grabbing and moving to your mouth motion. So basically, they then termed that the mirror neuron, because what over time, different experimenters found out that there'll be a mirror neuron for the movement of your hand, the movement of your arm, the movement of your leg, speech, there's auditory mirror neurons. So it's basically a way of us being able to observe or listen without doing something and rehearse it in our own brain. Is this the same as doing sort of like creative visualization? Like if you imagine in your mind, like you hear these experiences of people shooting basketballs in their mind and actually improving at hitting scores. Are we talking about this experience? Yeah, it's very similar. A friend of mine who's specifically a sports psychologist, we've talked about this quite a lot, actually, and the visualization aspect. And there are experiments that prove that if an athlete's injured, their performance will improve more if they sit and visualize it than if they do nothing. It's quite amazing, but it is about imagination, visualization, creativity, storytelling, all these things. And I was really interested, actually, because I listened into Tiago Forte, who you had on last week, and he said something right at the beginning, which I found interesting, was all these things that are really human. So empathy, imagination, creativity, intuition, those are all things that are reliant on the mirror neuron. And the way we're going with the workforce, if we're talking about the workforces, there's a McKinsey report that says by 2030, the need for these social and emotional skills is going to increase dramatically because we will have more AI. And that's not a bad thing, but we need to learn how to work with AI and actually become more human again. And so my argument would be we need to start paying attention to how to be human, which sounds crazy, but we all get lost in doing things, don't we, and not being human. I agree. And, you know, sometimes in our work, we get put into these tasks that could be very drudgery and just like repetitive tasks, which a lot of this is going to be automated. And the future of work, I know I've interviewed a few people that speak about the future of work is very much, in fact, human, which begs the question, is there such a thing where we're feeling blocked by not being able to fully learn with our mirror neurons? Like, are there things that get in the way for us to fully utilize this gift that allows us to learn either by physical role model or through these visualization tools? Yeah, well, I've got a TEDx, which I actually recorded at the weekend, which is going out in London School of Economics on the 20th of March, which was supposed to happen last March. But I talk about exactly this. Yes, there are things getting in the way of it. So just busyness of modern day life, The fact that we're less connected, obviously, pandemic doesn't help, but our communities are becoming more dispersed. And then, of course, technology. And I agree with what Tiago said. It's not an evil thing, but I would say it is a barrier because while we're looking at a screen, I mean, now I'm connecting with you and that's great, but we'd be connecting far more effectively if it was in person. And then if you think about, you know, we're busy looking at our diary or we're scrolling or we're getting very piecemeal bits of information. We're not seeing the whole picture of a person or life or the nuances that we would pick up in a more natural environment. 
Interesting. So in essence, we're not being very present in our humanity, which is not allowing us to fully integrate what it means to be human. I love that there's some ways that we can apply the mirror neurons, which I think is way beyond what I was imagining at the start of this conversation. To me, I thought the only way to activate mirror neurons and use the role model aspect is to actually have a mentor that you could look up to. But what you're saying, even with the ideas of creative visualization, but also you can learn by watching other people do things incredibly like you have access to the world's biggest video library on YouTube. You're mm-hmm. saying that if I want, for example, to be a better public speaker, watching great public talks allows me to improve that skill. And so is that a major component of the learning that we had neglected and has actually a massive impact? Yeah, I mean, it's a natural learning mechanism. I think one thing that's really interesting, so a lot of the research around this has been in doctors. And I've done a lot of work with doctors and surgeons, and so I find them fascinating. What it says is if you look at the General Medical Council in the UK or any board, they'll say empathy is massively important in doctors. And yet it's the one thing they actually start losing at year three of medical school. Now, I've got theories about why that is. But to be able to develop that empathy, the only way they can really do that is through seeing a more senior doctor demonstrating empathy. And if that more senior doctor is more conscious that that's what they're role modeling and the more junior doctor is more conscious that that's what they're watching, it improves the learning mechanism. Okay. So this means that the more we're aware that we're using these mirror neurons, the more we can integrate what it does for us. Absolutely. Now that's something powerful for everybody tuning in to be aware of. I think this is fascinating. Of course, we have our live Mind Valley audience here. How fascinating does this sound that now that we know this, we can actually start actively using it? I'd love to just say some yeses in the chat and how like, wow, this is. And if you're just listening on the podcast, of course, if you want to join our live chats, go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman so you can be part of this tribe as well. Now, Fiona, this is really fascinating. I want to just list a couple of things because now that I know this, I'm like, wow, is this the same if I read a biography? of somebody that did something incredible, is this where the mirror neurons come in or is this something completely different? No, I mean, it is the mirror neurons because one of the things that, I've forgotten his name suddenly, but there's a guy that did a great TED talk and it's about storytelling. Basically, Mm. when we hear a story, it triggers the same neurons in our brain and that's mirror neurons. So for example, one study looked at two people in fMRI, so functional magnetic resolution imaging, brain scanning. And they showed them listening to sort of a nonsense sentence or, you know, something that's about instructions and their brain waves were totally different. Then they got them to listen to a story and their brain waves synchronize with the person telling the story. So the aspects of the storyteller's brain that are being triggered are also being triggered in the person listening. And so the same thing happens when you're reading as well, because that imagination that you're using is triggering all those aspects of your brain. And there's research that shows that you can improve empathy through reading. And that's because you're putting yourself into someone else's shoes. And empathy is majorly dependent on the mirror neuron. That is fascinating. I'm seeing in the chat, a lot of people are talking about how 
Yuri Hassan, that's right. Sorry, I just seen someone's put Yuri Hassan, that's right. Yuri Hassan, so thank you for bringing that up. But also, I love how this is something that bridges a lot of what the Mind Valley community often speaks about, the more esoteric or spiritual kind of practices that we hear about. It sounds like science is getting right to the point where it's catching up to what things and and you know old traditions always had a hunch about or always yeah. advocated for without the data. And what you're saying here is, wow, this is actually coming together. I'd have a feeling like this research is probably accelerating as much as every other field right now. Are there some exciting things that are happening in the field of mirror neurons that are still being discovered? Is there more things that you're looking forward to? I would like to give a shout out to Professor Marco Iacoboni at UCLA. He is such a generous man in terms of sharing his time and his research. And he was massively helpful for me with this book. And he's done a lot of fascinating research on empathy and the mirror neuron. And there's controversy around the mirror neuron because we can't do single cell analysis in a human brain. Some cognitive neuroscientists will say, well, no, you know, it's, it's not, no such thing as the mirror neuron. But aside from that, the concept and what is happening, there's no disputing that. And whether we call it the mirror neuron or we call it this whatever long name in the brain. And what you said is spot on because I think, you know, I've always been interested in Buddhism and Eastern philosophy. And I think what neuroscience does is it proves what we already know. And what's useful is we can say, you know, we might have thought there are five different things, but actually now we can say it's these two that are the most effective and the most true. Hmm. But as you say, they're catching up, they're sort of coming together. It's not that we're learning things that we didn't already know. It's almost like we're confirming things that we already knew. Which I think that confirmation is important because like you said, now you can really focus on the one that had the highest impacts. And now this sounds like this is one of the highest impact ones we should be paying attention to, which I find is fascinating. I want to go back to one of the things you were saying at the beginning, which was all about these leaders that you would have the psychoanalysis, you would be meeting with them. And they in turn were becoming the role models that they had looked up to when they were younger, but they didn't have that awareness. And I wanted to ask the question, at what point do we acknowledge that we are a role model? And what are some things that we should be more aware of if we find ourselves being in a position where a lot of other people are role modeling us? Well, I would firstly say we are all role models, every single one of us. So you might be the role model to your friend. Sorry to go off on studies, but there's this brilliant study published in the British Medical Journal that looked at nearly 5,000 people over the course of six years and looked at the spread of happiness. And again, this might not come as a surprise, but it says if someone is happy, it will positively impact their friends, their friends, and their friends' friends. And this is like, this is all from data. And we kind of know that, don't we? But that's what the truth is. Our mood is reflected by the people around us. What we say, what we do, it all impacts and influences. And it's really important to be aware, not to feel the weight of that awareness, not to think, oh my God, you know, but to think, wow. This is incredible. If we see something we want to change or influence, we can do that. Mm. And so now that we all assume a role of a role model, that means we should be a bit more conscious on the way that we portray ourselves and how we show up to work every day because we are influencing somebody in some way, which at the same time, I'd be saying you talked a lot about empathy. Mm. I'd be curious to know what are the best things or the best methods that or the best types of role models we should be looking at? And do you feel that there are some role models that are being over-amplified in the world right now that we should maybe do a little less of? 
Yeah, it's really hard because when you're seeing a role model in the media, you're not seeing the whole picture because it's branded, it's positioned, they are positioned, they are branded. And that's not their fault a lot of the time. But what we tend to do with people who are in prominent positions is we'll role model everything about them. So that's why, you know, a cologne company can say, well, we'll give this to David Beckham and then everyone that likes football will buy it. (laughs) You know, they're not looking at, well, actually, that has nothing to do with his success. They'll just say, oh, yeah, he buys that. So I buy that. So I think there's Mm -hmm. the danger of us emulating everything. And there's also the danger that we don't see the full picture. We don't. And then you can feel really let down because they're human. Everyone's human. So suddenly someone will do something and you think, oh, you know, I thought they were amazing and now they've gone and done that. So it can feel really disappointing. They always say, don't never meet your idols because you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll lose that glow around them. But at the same time, we live in a society where there's a huge, we can even bring up the idea of influencers, right? Influencers mm. themselves are glorified social role models. And, you know, everybody on social media are presenting some of the best versions of themselves, maybe not even pick what is a reality of things, which makes us try to live up to those expectations. So have you noticed what that does to our way of doing mirror neuro? Because I feel like I'd be influenced to try to mirror the life of something that's not even real. And there would Mm -hmm. be something I could never achieve and leave me disappointed in the process. Absolutely. It's hard to gather data on that, but there is data that it's having impact, particularly on teenagers, because that's what they're seeing. They're looking at a screen and they're seeing who's on the end of a screen. They're not looking the people around them and that's not their fault it's not the influencer's fault it's just the way things sort of have evolved in society at the moment Mm. i love the fact that having this awareness of what we talked about today makes us realize that yes we should scrutinize that information we should be looking at it at a more full picture and becoming more conscious of what we decide to follow because like from what you're telling me right now i feel like wow okay i need to be very conscious of what are the threads that i follow online so that i can choose the ones that i actually want to model the ones that i feel have the values that i really think i want to have reflected back at me so that i can actually see how i can learn from these with much more of an impact than i ever thought before I think that's extremely powerful. And I think for everybody listening, we're kind of blown away and going, okay, we need to pay attention to this. It's a big deal and it could really shape our lives. I mean, that whole idea of the five closest people to you, it's not even just the physical people close to you, but it's all the information that's being thrown at you, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's another study. I don't like using it as much because it's about obesity and I don't want to sort of dwell on the sort of weight thing, but I think it was carried out by Harvard Medical School. And it showed that if you put on weight, your best friends are more likely to put on weight by quite a dramatic amount. And they don't even have to be living in close proximity to you. So it's it's very much about the bond we have with people. And And that's not to say, that's one thing that often comes up is people say, well, you know, what if my friends are really negative? It's not not to say ditch all your friends. It's to say, go into those meetings with them conscious that you're not going to let that influence you. That was actually going to be my next question. So I'm glad you jumped in and answered that. (laughs) In essence, whenever you're in situations where you're with people that you don't necessarily want to model their behavior, if you come in with the understanding expectation that I do not want, it's almost like, 
if you go into spiritual realm, you're kind of going like cancel, you know, like you're, you're not even yeah. letting those, those vibrations come into your life. And I just think Fiona, this whole conversation was fascinating. I know we're going to keep going with our Mind Valley members for some more Q and A. Uh, and I wanted to do a recap for the people tuning in. Cause I think this is one of the most mind blowing ideas that I've heard in a long time. And I think is so powerful and something I'm going to be modeling and paying attention to much more closely. And so as a recap for our listeners to the podcast, the mirror neurons, your mirror thinking, the way that the world interacts around you influences you in such a dramatic way. And so whatever it is that you absorb as information, whether it's from a mentor that you look up to, whether it's the people that you hang out with, whether it's the people that you look online or that you follow, all of it has a massive influence on how you develop, you learn, and you grow. And so you can learn amazing skills by watching other people that are executing on those skills. So imagine all of the learning possibilities and the reinforcement that this knowledge gives us on how we can try to learn new things. You want to be a better public speaker? Watch people that are public speaking. You want to be a better surgeon? Look at people that are doing surgery to see how you're going to be learning and absorbing in a way that we had an idea, but now neuroscience is confirming that. And with that, don't just ditch the people that are not role models with you, but be very conscious about the energies that you take on from the people that are around you. And the best part is the more you're conscious about this information that you just learned on this podcast, the more effective the methodology is. So I'm so glad we had Fiona here sharing this information because all of us get to walk away from this call being more conscious and noticing so many things around us. And the best part that I love about this is remember everything that you do, you are a role model to someone. So always be conscious of what you do and realize that it has an impact. And I know for those of you listening, you're out there being the best you can be as a superhuman, especially in the workplace. Fiona, thank you so much for your time. This was mind-blowing information and so much fun to speak with you. And for everybody tuning in, thank you and go out there and be the amazing role model that you are. Thank you so much. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. <laughs>